As we uh, come towards the end of uh, the first day of practice, um, I really want to to really appreciate all of your your efforts and uh, yeah, a kind of sense of really encouraging you uh, with this. Um, very often we can find that the first day of a retreat is uh, varies, but it certainly can be one of the most challenging days. You know, so we're arriving and uh, there may be all kinds of ideas and fantasies around what a retreat's like. I've certainly had this experience when um, I used to go back to work after a retreat and people say, how was your retreat? I bet that was really relaxing. And I used to say, yes, and walk on. <laughs> and uh, when you haven't engaged with this, when you haven't done something like this, it's easy to have a, a kind of imagination around it, really. Uh, that it's just a, ah, just a sort of, you know, like a spa day or something like that, you know. And uh, so the the reality, of course, as we're discovering, um, can be can be very different. And certainly, retreats are a deeply freeing time, deeply nourishing time. It has that potential, that uh, uh, that possibility. It's really what it's here for. Uh, and at the same time, it's hard. It can be hard. Moment to moment, can be really tough. So, uh, so well done, you know, well done for your, your practice today, your intention to be present, uh, your willingness to keep showing up in the midst of all of the things that will be uh, around for you. I always have a, a feeling uh, talking to a group like this, of course, on the one hand, I don't know you very well. I've spoken to a few of you. Uh, but almost all of you I really don't know very well. And yet on the other hand I can be fairly confident of the kind of things that are likely to be here in this hall, in this room. You know, the things we'll be bringing on retreat, whether that's you know, struggles and, and difficulties with our, our life at work, things around our family, maybe things around health or ourselves or, or loved ones. Uh, stresses and strains of, of making a living and balancing the books and sorting things out at home. And uh, so th this is what we're here with. This is what we're bringing, all of our histories, all of our current and historical challenges. And we're being really courageous. We're being really courageous to come into a situation like this. In... Um, uh, the groups, two uh, phrases that I, really came to mind for me. One was the, the feeling of, of cold turkey. You have this, this sense. To some degree, that's what we're doing on a retreat. Because we've temporarily taken away many of our props, many of our ways of making ourselves feel okay. Uh, and that's a very helpful thing to do. But it's also quite difficult, you know. So there might be at home, sometimes before we've even realized it, there's a feeling of a little bit of dissatisfaction, something's difficult, something's frustrating. And before we've realized it, we may well be flicking through our phone, having a look what's on the TV, uh, nipping to the fridge, uh, phoning a friend, you know. So there's all sorts of things that we may be doing. Uh, even if you think about it when you're at home, how often you may move from posture to posture, perhaps unaware of the subtle uh, discomfort that may be motivating that, may be, may be behind that. And then when we're here, and we're still for half an hour, 45 minutes, those subtle things that would normally just move us, again, we're here with it. And uh, <coughs> the other image that came to mind was this uh, sense of a culture shock to come on retreat and that actually coming on retreat in many ways is a little bit like going to another country where the, the norms and uh, values, the ways of behaving are really quite different. We're so influenced, of course, aren't we, by our surroundings, our, our culture. I mean, uh, the way we're all behaving now, you're beautifully in this role of retreatant in yogi, uh, sitting there, 
still and attentive. You know, we'd be behaving a little bit differently if we were at a football match, you know. <laughs> and there's, I don't know if you've been to football matches, but the, the people uh, are influenced in very different ways, very different norms, very different values. Yeah. And so when you come into to somewhere where you're thinking, oh, well, this is how they do things here. Oh, what's this like? Is this okay? Checking it out, feeling, uh, what's, our, what's my place here? So there's all of that around for us too. So, as I said, really, really appreciating uh, your your sense of presence and, and commitment to this. Um, so, I wanted to expand on this theme a little bit um, uh, in terms of working with with that which is difficult in our practice. You know, to explore skillful, wise responses to the difficulties that can arise in our, in our meditation practice formally, in our retreat more generally, and of course in our lives more generally, to pause and to reflect. What, what really helps? What really helps to meet uh, that which is, is hard to bear? And uh, a lovely place to begin, or an appropriate place to begin, uh, something from the, the Buddha's teachings that's very helpful. He uh, talks about this, this word dukkha, which you may be familiar with, uh, which we can uh, render as suffering, struggle, dis-ease, not quite feeling at home, feeling a little bit uh, you know, unbalanced. Uh, this sense that life can be uh, can be at times at least a struggle, that this is, is part of what we, we experience. And uh, the Buddha says, and I find it such a helpful phrase really, that this is to be understood. You know, this is to be understood. In other words, we can turn towards that, look at that, um, really investigate the sense of struggle and difficulty that arises in the moment. Some moments it's arising very strongly. Other moments maybe they're in a more subtle sense. But this is to be understood. We can turn towards this. This is freeing and liberating to, to contemplate, to turn towards. <clears throat> and by, by dukkha we mean really a whole spectrum. Again, if you think of some, some moments in our lives, the Suffering and the struggle is very intense, very clear, very definite. If you think of a moment of being completely enraged, you know, it just, it's so painful, isn't that? Those thoughts that are just spinning, the body bracing, the feeling of being so overwhelmed by that. The uh, attention is very fixated on uh, something or someone. moments too of when uh, physical sensations, you know, physical pain can be very, very severe, very strong. Um, and also by, by dukkha we can also refer to something really rather subtle. And so uh, an image I have of this is if you've been on a most beautiful holiday, you're on a, you've been on a lovely holiday and it's really been everything that you'd wished for and you're feeling really rather peaceful and it's the last evening and you're walking along the beach and the sun is setting and you just think, oh, I haven't felt like this for years. And then there's just that thought, oh, tomorrow <laughs> it'll pass and I'll be at the airport and the security and the baggage checks and the, on an airplane and facing what I've ever I've got to go home to. And so that, that, just that sense can tinge even, even a rather pleasant moment. Uh, a feeling of not quite being at home and a feeling of complete, uh, a lack of completion. Something's missing, a sense of dukkha. And uh, in this uh, task of understanding this, this is to be understood, again, we, we receive some helpful teachings. Um, so there's the sense of the physical dukkha of birth, of aging, of uh, process of, of dying, moving towards our death, and the, the 
grief and struggle around that. And then this, I just love, personally, I absolutely love the clarity of this. It's something like um, not getting what we want is dukkha. And getting what we don't want. I mean, that really boils down to it, yeah? Getting what we don't want and not getting what we want. So you may even you know, contemplate that today. How's that shown up in your day to day? There have been those moments when it feels like there's something very solid here, something here that I, I don't want, I don't like, it's in my way, that kind of feeling that can be uh, around. So again, that may well have been um, for many, many, many of us, perhaps in some degree all of us, some kind of sensation in the body is very likely to bring up that feeling. A tension in the shoulder, a furrowing of the brow, a tightening around the eyes, sensations in the back, aching knees. I didn't want that, I didn't sign up for that. I didn't put that on the website. I don't know, maybe we have now, I don't know. <laughs> We'd like to play with that a little bit. You know, come to Guy House and feel your knees aching. <laughs> but it's here, isn't it? And it's, you know, we kind of know this, but it's, it's, uh, it's really built into what it is to be a human being, this very basic fact that there will be times when we, we won't get what we want we're, or we're faced with what we don't want. You can defend against this to some degree with wealth and luxury and... Uh, but it's only to some degree. Only to some degree. So it's a fundamental aspect of being a human being. And that contemplation is very skillful too. In other words, we, we've, really, we've all uh, got this sense. All of us in here, all of us in Gaia House, all of us around Devon and all of us in the world. In different ways, in different forms. But this kind of uh, contemplation moves us from that feeling of, ah, oh, it's me, what's wrong with me? Why is this happening here? Why can't I get it together? In other words, it's very easy to interpret dukkha through the lens of a personal flaw, a personal problem, something that I can't quite get it together when everyone else can. So this very helpful contemplation, that actually this is what it is to be a human being. And this is to be understood. And uh, then around that we can have this, uh, this extra struggle, this extra difficulty. So as well as these things that are really woven in, the, the struggles of being born, aging, uh, getting what we don't want, not getting what we want, then there can also be this, you know, what's built around that? What's added to that? What's extra from that? What makes that feel like we're just completely weighed down by it? How can we understand that? And how can we see moment to moment <coughs> times of freedom from that? I think that's really what we're we're exploring on a retreat, all, really all of these retreats in all of these ways are looking at that question. What is this dukkha, this suffering? And what does it mean to explore, to seek, to discover, to rediscover, moment to moment, an end of suffering, an end of struggle? That's really what we're, we're learning and exploring in our, in our practice. I had a, an experience a few weeks ago where uh, I was together with some people and uh, uh, one of these uh, things that happens in, in human life is that people have different expectations, don't they? I mean, it's a good thing to remember how much struggle, how much conflict simply comes from different expectations. And, uh, and I was with a group of people and we'd been together during the day and I'm one of these people that sometimes... Uh, rather likes my own company, you know, so I've been with a lot of people all day, by the evening I'm ready to be on my own a little bit, <laughs> and, uh, 
and this um, other person I was with, perhaps just different temperament or a little bit more extrovert, was really hoping that we'd all be together in the in the evening. And uh, you know, I remember her saying this, and we were talking about it, and uh, and uh, and and she, you know, she was kind of expressing some disappointment around this. And I just remember my mind at that in that time in that space. For whatever reason, I felt in a very clear space, and. There was just no extra dukkha around that at all arising. It's very interesting to notice that. Because sometimes that could be a real problem, isn't it? You know, you want to do this, I want to do that, why is that going on? You know, somehow I, I would be bad or wrong for wanting to be on my own. Or the other person would be bad or wrong for wanting to be more sociable. And suddenly in that moment, it was just this real, see, oh, it's different preferences, different views, different expectations. Okay, a little bit clunky, but it's okay, it's workable. And uh, I'm certainly not saying every moment of my life is like that, but it's just a, an example of where you can sometimes see, sometimes something would really create, uh, where a sense of dukkha could really grow and expand, and other times it just, like, things happen and it's just... You know, nothing really grows from it. And uh, it's, I think in many ways what we're cultivating, developing in, in this practice. One of the, the ways in which suffering or struggle can manifest on retreat are what we uh, call the five hindrances that you, you may be familiar with. And... I'll mention them relatively briefly this evening, but just to give you a sense of, of what, what these are around. Um, I find this, again, you may, may find it a strange thing that I find it heartening, but I find this a very heartening list because actually it's about two and a half thousand years old and comes from a very different culture and a very different time. And uh, so that makes me smile because I think, wow, people in India two and a half thousand years ago had minds that did these kind of things. So again, it's, it, it releases that feeling of me. Why does my mind do this? Why does it, you know, what is it about me that means this happened? No, this is what human minds do. And so these hindrances, the first is a sense of, of wanting something, wanting something that's not present. Yeah, sense of sense desire. Again, just reflecting, has that come up today? Yeah, it's very usual when we're, we're on retreat, we, we may well have looked forward to being on retreat. Ah, oh, that'll be lovely. Two or three days I'll be at Guy House, that'll be nice. And sometimes almost as soon as we're here, <laughs> we can find ourselves moment to moment looking forward to the end of the retreat. <laughs> it's like, oh, that'll be... What, what can it be? And again, because it, it feels like there's certain things not here that we might rather like, we can find ourselves dreaming and fantasizing around them. And it can be just about anything. You know, might be a nice pizza, something nice to drink, might be seeing a good friend, catching up on the TV that you've missed over these days, or could be all sorts of things, but basically the, 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 um, the pattern of the mind, in a, in a sense what the object of that desire is, is a bit less relevant, but it's just beginning to notice that pattern and the view underneath it. It's like what's here is insufficient, it's not enough. But if I had that thing, there would be some sense of completion, peace, well-being... Ah, that, that's my, you know, my ease isn't here, sitting here with a pain in the knee and these guys with their very slow voices. No, it's going to be eating that pizza. Ah, that's it. But just notice how that arises and passes, that sense of what arises and passes and the views bound up within that. You know, it's that feeling that what we, what we do is really project our sense of well-being, completion, onto something that we then feel that we need to have. And it's really helpful, it's really important to see this moment 
to moment to moment, again and again and again. In my life I've done this with so, <laughs> so many things. Uh, I like Chris's thing about uh, meta being this uh, unconditional sense of humor. It's very helpful. I, I had this once around, of all things, a yellow coat. I always remember my yellow coat. Because especially perhaps for a man, it's a rather strange thing to desire. You know, it's yellow coat. So we, guys don't normally, you know, navy, grey, black, brown maybe. But yellow. But I remember really, really, what I, it, I think why I remember this so much is because it sticks out in my mind because the craving for it was really quite strong. You know, these things come in degrees, don't they? <laughs> but for some reason I really thought, wow, this is going to be amazing. <laughs> anyway, I won't uh, give you the long version of the story, but uh, you know, I eventually got this yellow coat, uh, wore, wore the yellow coat out a couple of times, felt quite self-conscious. <laughs> what do people think of me in my yellow coat? And uh, a friend of mine said, you look a bit like a drug dealer. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't quite the look I was going for. <laughs> yeah, wore it two or three times, ended up in the wardrobe, Got the navy one back out, felt like, okay, safe again, comfort zone. And uh, I don't know whether it was some months or some years later, looking back in the wardrobe, yellow coat, donated to Oxfam. And, uh, but it, it was just interesting, and again, it's one thing, but if you notice, it's happening moment to moment to moment with all sorts of things in our life. And this is the cycle. Ah, that would be so wonderful, that would be so delightful, and ah... Not quite what I thought, and ah, okay. Ah, oh, maybe it was this one. <laughs> and we're off again, yeah? You can see when we do that, we go on this little merry-go-round. And so a lot of our practice is about noticing, understanding, seeing that process, so we can be more aware of it, and it gives us some choice and freedom within that. You know, really uh, encourage you to, to have this whole thing as a reflection. Again, it's a lovely practice. Notice what on the retreat is around in terms of what I'd like to do when I, get, uh, when I leave the retreat. And when you leave the retreat, continue to practice and be really mindful and aware as you do that. And just see what it's like. It's, it's so helpful to know. It's like, wow, that thing that was so strong. This is what it is. The uh, second of these qualities uh, is aversion that we've been talking about, this sense of not wanting, pushing away, needing to, or feeling like we need to get rid of. Uh, So it's a feeling that if only this thing wasn't here, then I could really settle into the practice. And again, just being aware, reflecting, this is not... Uh, you know, there's no sense of right or wrong around this, but just, just noticing what's that arisen in relation to for you today. You know, if only this wasn't here, then I would, you know, I could really get into the retreat. Hmm. Again, sensations in the body are a good candidate for triggering aversion. If there are unpleasant sensations in the body, you can so easily feel, ah, if only that wasn't there. Repetitive loops in the mind. Mm. Those are hard, aren't they? (laughs) You know those? (laughs) Things that go round and round and round and ah. Some, and then you think, oh, these teachers, we talk sometimes this lovely thing about thoughts coming and going and coming. And, and sometimes it's like that. And sometimes it feels a little bit more like a kind of spin dryer, doesn't it? Like, you know, popping in, popping out like that. But then, wow! And the magnetic pull can feel so strong. Again, another strong memory of mine is being outside here at uh, Gaia House one summer. And I'd had some... Um, some kind of difficulty at work. I mean, nothing, you know, looking back years later, it's nothing that major, just, again, different expectations with some of my managers. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I just, you know, I'd finished work and I was here at Gaia House and it was a 
gorgeous day, beautiful day. You know, the sky was so clear and it was sunny and the, you know, maybe there was a gentle breeze and the, the lawn was lovely. I mean, it's a really beautiful place, I feel, Guy House, and, you know, really blooming in the summer and the sunshine. And yet my mind was just pulled back. How could he do that? How could he say that? That's so out of all. That's typical of them. That's what they do. Don't they realize what that's like? And you really pull back again and again and again to that. And so I think here's when we, a real patience is required. Because we can feel, oh, there must be some trick. You know, if I could do something, it's just going to cut through all of that. But so often it's patience. And again, in that time, I was just a bit as we've been encouraging you to do today, really. Just say, ah, oh, what's, what's actually here now? That's a great question. What's here now? Ah, oh, the sky, the grass, feelings coming to our senses, you know, seeing it. You notice all of that. Ah, oh, just for a moment, just for a moment, allowing that to nourish me. Ah. Oh. And then, of course, the spin dryer starts up again. Can't believe they said that. That's so out of order. <laughs> you know. And again, I, really offering this in the sense of normalizing that. Sometimes a difficult thought really can be there, it comes and it goes. Sometimes it really hang, they hang around, don't they? You know, when something's really pressed up buttons, it's patient. Feel, you know, come back, feel it in the body, give it space. Notice what's around, come back. And it's a process that we can really be with that. But it's so easy to trigger aversion, isn't it? If I didn't have that going on, I could really settle into the retreat. But maybe, just maybe, that is our retreat. And maybe the learning in that is hugely rich. I've noticed that shift in my own practice and understanding in recent years. Sometimes when I used to do sort of longer retreats here, you know, perhaps a week or, or longer, I'd sort of think the first two or three days well, I kind of sit through that and then oh, I'll be a bit more calm and still that's the interesting practice <laughs> whereas I, actually nowadays I'm really rather interested in the more as, as strange as it sounds rather interested in the more difficult states because those are the ones where, where the, the dukkha is really strong so I feel very motivated to work with those it's a big deal if we can find skillful ways to respond to that it's a big deal it's really liberating, really helpful. So as well as the desire or the aversion, at times we can feel we can feel restless in our practice. If you've had that sense, I you know, have my hands on the knees. Oh no. Probably be better on the lap. No, they were better on the knees. Actually maybe that'd help. You know, that feeling of just kind of moving, fiddling, restless movement. Um, and a skillful way we can be with many of these, these hindrances is to, um, to deliberately begin to bring in the opposite quality. And so again, we, we can respond wisely to that. So if there is a lot of aversion around, as Chris was very uh, helpfully and, and clearly expressing uh, earlier, you know, we can drop in a phrase of, of, of loving-kindness, may I be well, may I be peaceful. Just to hold it a little, not as a magic technique to get rid of. These aren't techniques in that sense. Not, ah, feel averse. Okay, technique 17a, has it worked? But no, just to hold that a little more. But again, same too with... Um, with restlessness. So the opposite of that is a sense of stillness. So we can really strengthen that intention just to be still. Just to be still in the midst of this. To notice the impulse. In this example with the hands, you know, notice the impulse to move. To turn towards that, to reflect on that. And notice how it comes and goes. Notice how it comes and goes. Uh, one way, again, of talking about what we're doing in the practice that we've mentioned is this move from a life governed by impulse to a sense of intention. 
And that's an impulse, isn't it? You know, this way, that way, trying to get comfy. And if we can just have the sense of being still, we can begin to see those impulses. And what we very often discover is that they can, they arise and they pass away. So the impulse is telling us the only way you're going to get rid of me is by following me, doing what I say. Yeah. So we can reflect on that. Oh, okay, it's sensations in the body and it's a feeling of, oh, I need to do it. stay with it, stay with it. And we can notice it fades. And again, just to, to generalize the lessons of this, it's, it's so helpful in our life, isn't it, more generally, to cultivate that capacity to be governed by intention rather than impulse. And just think about how that helps in relationships when I'm talking to somebody and then they inadvertently start to press my buttons, say things I can feel, ah, how, how do and my thoughts start to race? How dare they say, what's going on? How dare they say that? That's not fair. I didn't mean that. My body is again, heart's beating more quickly. You know, and in that moment, uh, what we're developing, the capacity can be with that. Notice that. Notice the thoughts. Notice the sensations. Notice the feelings. Honor those. Feel those. Let those be. And the freedom then to respond. You know, because the impulse is to say, well, we, know, <laughs> well, we perhaps know what that's like. To just drift very quickly into a communication based on blame and should. Ah. And we don't get it right all the time, do we? <laughs> you know, again, that's an important uh, part of this practice, I think, for me, is that uh, this isn't about being perfect at that. It's not do four days at Gaia House and never be governed by impulse again. <laughs> it's not like that. It's, uh, it's a, a feeling of developing this capacity, this seeing that can help us moment to moment over time, just strengthen this sense of doing that. And being really kind to ourselves also in those moments when, when that doesn't happen. You know, It's okay, you know, you Lost it a bit today. It's all right. Okay, just a person, just human. Just come back. You know, just come back. Um, at other times, we can feel more sleepy. This is the fourth of these these hindrances to feel drowsy. And the traditional translation is sloth and torpor. These lovely old-fashioned words that themselves need translating almost. <laughs> Not really everyday English words, are they? But sleepiness, drowsiness. And uh, my sense, certainly, if, if this is uh, around for you, particularly today, I would say, on the first day, uh, my own sense of that is it's just so uh, usual for us these days to arrive really somewhat depleted, Uh, you know, feeling the tiredness in the body there. Oh, there's that, that sense, I think particularly if we've been running on adrenaline a little bit, that that's our energy, it's keeping going, I just need to keep pushing through this, I need to get that done, get that sorted. Okay, and, I just, and then when we arrive, it's like, oh, settle in. And we can, I think, very helpfully, actually, I mean, it's not always pleasant, but very helpfully, oh, actually, actually quite, quite run down, you know, quite quite depleted and um, and to be really patient with that again I, I personally feel and again particularly on the first day it's not so helpful to jump in with lots of techniques ah oh, you know feeling sloth and talk I'm going to do this do that get busy with trying to fix it or respond to it but oh, yeah just to, to feel that and to to look after ourselves you know? Um, at other times in our practice, and perhaps as the retreat goes on, uh, it's also worth being sensitive to this when this is less a sense of that real kind of deep, genuine tiredness and exhaustion and is more um, a, a kind of psychological habit of tuning out. Yeah. Uh, 
And I think in a, in a way, again, that's quite inevitable that this turns up on, on a retreat. Because, and I mean this in the nicest way. You may think I'm putting myself down here, but I mean this in the nicest way. That quite a lot of what happens here, uh, in a, in a, certainly in our worldly sense, is quite boring. <laughs> uh, and I don't mean that as a criticism at all, but we're deliberately, this, this whole situation is rather deliberately not particularly exciting or entertaining. And uh, you may have noticed that, and it's actually really designed like that. I mean, I don't know if you notice the carpet. I don't know how you feel about the carpet, but I suspect for most of us it's really, <laughs> it's really rather neutral. Yeah. I don't know, some of you might oh, not come in the guy house with that cream carpet. <laughs> you know, the walls are quite neutral. There's not, there's not a lot around here. You know, the breath, not all the time actually, but, but uh, very often it's quite a neutral object. And um, a lot of our world outside isn't at all neutral. It's exciting, it's stimulating, it's pressing buttons. If you're watching the TV and uh, the way the programs are edited together so quickly, it's exciting, sound effects, music, drama. You know, you're, you're looking, at, uh, looking at Facebook and going through all of the things and, ah, you know, what's provoking all kinds of different responses, stimulation, feelings of, you know, perhaps envying certain people's things, why has they put that there? You know, we're feeling triggered, pushed, and, and then here is, is rather neutral, used to be still. And I think in that situation there can be this sort of, ah, oh, there's, not, there's not a lot going on here, it's a, bit, a little bit boring, just kind of drifting into a more dreamy, sleepy place. And uh, that's where we can, we can actually recall the very first thing that we did. And you know, I think almost all of us have done one of the eight-week courses, but this raisin exercise that we do on the eight-week courses, how does wholeheartedly giving our attention to something change the experience? And this is a reflection that can really inform our whole retreat, but... How does the quality of our attention begin to shift and change the whole sense of what's going on? And people describe that, don't they? Normally I eat a raisin, grab a handful, chomp away while I'm doing something else, and ah, pay attention to it. What does that do? And so to really, I love this phrase, to, to really give our attention you notice that over the next few days, when you're, when you're walking, to really, really give. It's almost like a sort of devotional exercise. You know, what's it re really sense, the feet on the ground? To, to you know, wholeheartedly give the attention just to this breath as it comes and goes. How does, it, how does that change? How does that change the experience? Because of course the, sun, the sense of something being sort of boring or unstimulating, it's all constructed, you know, out of a mind that's perhaps habituated to being stimulated and excited and looking for that. You can really play with that. One of my best moments, funny thing to say, <laughs> in all the time I've been at Gaia House, one of my favourite moments, these things become kind of memories, I have to say. They're sort of put on the shelf and were <laughs> worshipped a bit from the far. But my favourite moment at Gaia House ever, almost, was actually putting out the rubbish. <laughs> I was uh, doing a really long retreat here and really enjoying the sitting and the walking and just being really more still. And I had the, the job where you put, a, put away all of the, uh, the old food. And if you, any of you had this job today, you're scraping the food into the bowl for the uh, compost and anyway my job was to empty those buckets and do various things with them and some of it you know we just put in the uh, in the bags and uh, I, I, I never forget this I just remember you know being there and obviously waste food doesn't smell particularly nice does it you know it doesn't look very nice it's just there but because this sense the momentum of that giving my attention that had had been really built up and it was a just present, my hand just there, this 
waste food and the unpleasant smells and just just get in the bag, just pause, can tie it, tie up the thing. And, you know, I just didn't, in that moment, I didn't want to be anywhere else. And, uh, and I just remember that again, because it's a powerful, a powerful sense of our feeling of well-being or peace moment to moment is, is not tied up in the particulars of what we're doing. It's so easy to feel, isn't it? And then we get a lot of cultural messages around this. It's somewhere else, you know. We imagine that, again, I don't know, being on holiday in Barbados or something, lying on a sunbed with a nice cocktail, having won the lottery. There's almost our culture's sense of what's going to be ultimately fulfilling. I mean, you know, maybe other versions of it. And just that moment, it's like, well, actually, maybe there's this just deep moment of peace and stillness and enough putting out the rubbish. <laughs> You know, what does that do to our views about how we live and what's important and what we need to cultivate or what we would love to cultivate? Mm. So again, we can just, not a demand, but just see what it's like to give the attention to the breath, the body, And uh, again, just to, to reassure you, I wouldn't want you to think, ah, oh, has this lovely moment at Gaia House, and then I bet he's like that all the time. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I have many other moments that are much more full of dukkha, stru- struggle, suffering. Uh, so it, it comes and goes, this practice. It's not a kind of idealistic thing that, you, that you're like, ah, you know, this feeling of I've arrived. It's always interesting. Notice when that arises, that's an interesting place to get stuck to. I've arrived. <laughs> yeah. There's a lovely uh, teaching in one of the books. Is a, is a woman says to somebody, oh, my son's finished his studies. And the person says, I'm sure God will send him some more. There's <laughs> a little bit like that in this practice. When, whenever you think you've cracked it, yeah, something else might be around the corner. So it's not about some sort of perfect kind of eternal state of enjoying putting out the rubbish, but it's, it's noticing how moment to moment that comes and goes. There can be those moments when that struggle feels quite, uh, quite strong, quite, quite intense. Well, you know, what's that around? How can we be with that? Use that as a mindfulness bell to turn towards, investigate, to see. And also what we're learning from those moments of peace, those moments of letting go. Uh, that we're not, uh, we're not fully in control of. It's not like, again, to go back to this point, it's not like there's a technique. Ah, switch that on. But as we practice, give our attention, then you know, there can be these moments of just some stillness. This phrase we've been using, stillness in the midst of what's here. That phrase, stillness in the midst of, is, is deeply rich because it points to a sense of uh, freedom that we can be in touch with even uh, alongside some sense of difficulty. And that's deeply freeing because let's say I have a particular kind of twinge or pain in the shoulder and I might have the view, if only that wasn't here, I would feel really peaceful. And let's say I have some moments where that twinge in the shoulder goes. But whatever that kind of peace is, is very fragile, isn't it? Because it only lasts as long. <laughs> as the pain in the shoulder stays away. But really what we're cultivating here, something we get this sense that, ah, can it be okay? An okayness even with this twinge in the shoulder. Can it be okay even with this mind that spins? Yeah, when we can begin to feel and, and sense into that, it's very deeply liberating sense of our practice. 
And uh, finally, to to complete the uh, the list, I mean, if you've followed the whole list, but there's a sense of desire, sense desire, aversion, restlessness, sleepiness. Uh, but the the final one of these is um, is doubt, and uh, doubt as a hindrance is not at all what we would see as kind of uh, really helpful questioning, investigation. Uh, you know, our critical faculties are very useful on this path. You know, it's not, uh, it's not an anti-intellectual path at all. But yeah, you know, our, our clear seeing. But doubt in the sense, again, you may have noticed this arising today. This is okay for everybody else, but I'm not quite sure this is for me. You know, uh, this isn't, yeah, this is, I, I, you know, I'm sure everyone else can do this, but I, yeah, I, I, maybe I'm just not, not the person that's, that's kind of set out for this. And again, it's helpful to know this is a pattern of mind that comes up. It's not, again, just uh, something that happens to you personally, individually, and nobody else. And it's so easy to imagine how everybody else is having a much easier time. And this is why, partly why we have these group meetings and we can hear the shared struggle and learn from the shared struggle. Uh, it's a, a classic uh, story. It may well have happened to you today. Um, in one of my groups I'm teaching in Nottingham, somebody described exactly this again. But I don't know if you had this moment where you, you feel that you're struggling and then you open your eyes and you look around and you look at people and people look very still, don't they? They look at ease. And it's very, very easy in that moment to make all kinds of assumptions. You know, they call in CBT, don't they? The mind reading. You, know, you look at somebody else and you're assuming, ah, they're in bliss. They're there, you know, whatever their experience is. <laughs> and you do that for a little while and then you, you know, say, oh, might as well give it another go and then you close your eyes. And just at the moment you do that, the person that you'd be looking at thinking was so peaceful and serene, they open their eyes. <laughs> They're having a struggle and then they look at you and think, ah, oh, she's got it together, he's got it together. So it's so easy again to feel that, that, that sense of a personal thing. And we really can, I mean, this is the antidote to doubt, we really can, we really can find skillful ways to work with whatever arises. And I'm really confident of that, really confident of that. And you may feel that confidence a little bit, you know, you may feel it a lot. But the more we practice, just noticing that can really, ah, oh, it's like, ah, oh, there, this too, yeah, I can be with this, I can turn towards this, I can find ways to respond to this. And we can begin to see those, those doubts as simply other thoughts that we can notice come and go. This liberating sense of not needing to believe or buy into the thoughts that arise in our minds. Really give ourselves to the practice. So, again as I come towards the end of the talk, really just want to come back to where I began, which is a sense of, of well-wishing. I really, you know, deeply, deeply wish you, wish you well with this practice. You know, it isn't easy, but it is workable. And uh, again, uh, as I said last night, the thousands of people who've been in this in this hall are a testimony to that. These patterns that we're experiencing are not personal flaws, personal problems. These are what human hearts and minds do. They did it in the Buddha's time, doing it now. And it's workable. We can be with it, we can breathe with it, we can find ways to wisely respond.
a whole, a whole range of ways that we've been working with today to come back to the body, to feel the ground, to feel the seat, to open to what's lovely and nourishing, the blue sky, the sound of the birds, to bring in the phrases of warmth and kindness to meet what's here. Little by little, slowly by slowly, moment by moment, it's workable. So let's just uh, sit quietly together to allow the words of the talk to just to settle. So it's uh, time for some uh, walking meditation and uh, we'll be back here. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.